morning again. Welcome to those here in person, to those who are tuning in online. It is a joy to be able to continue on with Advent. As Margot said, we are not giving up on the Advent. There's no reason to. None of you took your trees down and your decorations are still up. Your living rooms, I'm sure, are still a mess. So we're going to keep on Adventing today. We have a thrilling hope. A thrilling hope that we have taken time over the course of these few weeks uh, to consider. A thrilling hope in a weary world. A thrilling hope that was promised in the early pages of Scripture. A thrilling hope that was announced the birth of Christ, the thrilling hope that was fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. And for our purposes today, it is a thrilling hope yet to come. This is good news for us. This is great news for us. So if you have have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bibles to the very last book of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 7. As we are going to consider a thrilling hope yet to come. We're going to be reading Revelation 7 verses 9 through 17 this morning as we consider a glimpse at the very end of this incredible glory and how that brings to us a very tangible daily hope. Let's read from God's word. Let's consider it together this morning. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne And around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. God, as we come to this glorious and encouraging passage, we pray that it would be truly encouraging to us this day. So be with us this morning as we consider it. Pray that you would be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting, the clinging to this, your word. That it would bring transformation to our lives even right now in this very hour. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Knowing the end transforms. 
forms the now. If you know the end, it has an impact on how you live out the now. The end of the Bible matters in our lives today. Our whole series has been one on a thrilling hope for a weary world. That what God has done for us in Christ matters greatly, incredibly, most remarkably. And the way it matters is that it matters now. And it matters at the end. Both working together. And our hope together this morning as we consider a thrilling hope yet to come. Is that because Jesus wins over everything. We can have a daily hope in him now. And that daily hope will lead to a future glory and good. This is awesome news for us as we feel the wearying effects of a sin-broken world and sin-broken lives that we have in this most incredible message of the whole of Scripture, the reality that Jesus wins over all evil, bringing to us a daily hope that leads to a future glory. That's how we're going to shape our message, this message um, This morning is that the thrilling hope yet to come brings to us sort of a serpentine thought. It it goes one direction and then it comes right back. They mirror each other and there's a nuance here that's very important for us. First, a future glory that fuels a daily hope. The thrilling hope yet to come brings to us a future glory that fuels a daily hope. And now it serpentines back. That daily hope anticipates a future glory. We need both nuances in our lives right now. This day, this very moment, we need to hold on to something of this future glory that we are anticipating and then see how Amazing that is, and how that then brings to us a daily hope. It fuels for us this daily hope to live for the King who has rescued us. So we have a lot to consider and cover, and so let's jump in together. And that first point is a future glory that fuels a daily hope. There are two things that we're going to consider here. First is we're we're going to be answering questions. First question is this. Why on earth are we in Revelation? (laughs) Of all the things, why Revelation? Well, because here in this last book of the Bible, most marvelously and incredibly, we get a glimpse of this future glory. A future glory. The last book of the Bible is confusing and amazing. And you read it, and it's sometimes hard to get your head and your heart around what you're reading. Because it's looking at the very end, and it's considering the entire church age, and there's so much going on in it. But Revelation has three main purposes attached to it. So that when you open up your Bible and you read it, there are three main things going on. First, Revelation was written to be an encouragement to the church, to believers, to those who are in Christ, to hold on to him. It was written to be an encouragement to believers 
to hold on to Jesus through faith in the midst of a very volatile world. Don't let go. Simultaneously, it was a, not only an encouragement to believers, it was a warning to those who were pretending. It was a, a warning. No, this is serious stuff we're considering here. The gospel is serious stuff. Jesus is dealing with sin in a very serious way, either on the cross or in judgment. So let's not take this light. Let's not pretend. So it was an encouragement to those who believed and put their faith and trust in Jesus. But it was a warning to those who were pretending church or just going through the motions of church. And that the pressures of this life and this world would find a way to crush them and they would bail on the faith. So it's encouragement and it's warning. And how does it go about encouraging and warning? Third sort of reason or purpose behind this letter was to demonstrate the ultimate victory of Jesus over sin, death, and all evil. That this is an encouragement to the church to cling to him. And a serious but joy-filled warning to those pretending church to say, no, you better take Jesus seriously here. So that's why Revelation was, was written. It was to bring encouragement and warning and to demonstrate Christ's ultimate victory. And as it tells this story over the course of this letter, there are four main themes that emerge. Four main themes that are interconnected in the ways in which the author, the Apostle John, by way of the power of the Holy Spirit, is communicating this to us. And Revelation gets, a, gets real about these four main themes. And you can write these down, but they're not hard to, to, to remember. Sorry. Yeah. They're not hard to remember. First is this. When you read Revelation, you get a raw reality. Life is hard. Life is hard. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat things or offer us something that is not true. Shows us that life is hard, that the curse of sin affects all peoples, places, and history. And as a result of that, the world that we live in is and can be and will be harsh. Second theme that we find in Revelation is that evil is real. Evil is real. That there is real, spiritual, evil opposition to God, to his purposes, and to his people. It's real. Now, we can sometimes fall guilty of idealizing or romanticizing life. Seeking some comfort or pleasure or possession or whatever is bringing to us a lasting joy. And sometimes we can be aloof or ignore the raw reality that there is actual evil. And when the church romanticizes life and ignores evil, it gets sort of stupefied into inactivity. And so this warning and this encouragement to the church is to keep on clinging. Keep on living. Keep on witnessing to the grace and goodness and glory of God 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because life is hard and evil is real. Now we get encouragement along the way that we see here is that a third theme that's major in Revelation is that God is in control. And that this is at the heartbeat of encouragement and warning. That Revelation shows that God is ultimately over everything. God is over history. God is over good. God is over evil. Nothing is outside of God's control. And while things may seem mysterious to us, they are clear as day to God because he's over it all. So Revelation is bringing a timely encouragement and warning saying, yes, life is hard. Yes, evil is real. But God is in control. And that control is on huge display through the fourth major theme of Revelation. And that is Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins over the harsh world. Jesus wins over this evil opposition. Jesus' Jesus's winning shows God's controlling. The encouragement to hang on in a hard world with evil lurking about is directly focused on a call to cling to Jesus who wins over all opposition. So while Revelation can be hard to read because of its intense symbolism and crazy scenes that are unfolding... Those main themes are at play. Life is harsh. Evil is real. But God is in control and Jesus wins. That's why Revelation. Now, we read Revelation chapter 7. And and we didn't go to Revelation chapter 1, which is the introduction. Uh, We're introduced to the resurrected, reigning, ruling, and one day returning King Jesus. That would have been a really good place. Or we could have gone to Revelation 21 and 22 and see that resurrected, reigning, ruling, returned King Jesus in place. That would have been another great place to consider. So why this chapter? All the places to draw upon in Revelation. Why chapter 7? For daily hope. For daily hope. So we're in Revelation because we need to taste and see this future glory. And we're in Revelation 7 because we need to see how that future glory fuels a daily hope for us now. That's why. So let's consider a few things. Context matters. Context matters. So where we are in chapter 7 is really we're finding an answer to a question that was asked at the end of chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, we get this question. Verses will be on the screen, I think. Uh, Revelation 6, 15 through 17. It's this incredible, overwhelming picture. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The question is, Who can stand when Jesus returns? And the answer is found in chapter 7. In verse 9. Also should be on your screen. We are where we picked up this morning. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages are doing what? 
standing. So chapter 7 is answering the question, who can stand? Who can stand? Those who can stand at the end are the ones who cling to Jesus through faith in the now. Those standing at the end are the ones clinging to Jesus through faith in the now. No matter how hard life can be. No matter how real evil can threaten. Those who are in Christ through faith are before him in heaven wearing the clothes of victory And singing the songs of glory. And this chapter is a glimpse. This is a glimpse of the end of this future glory. This glimpse is being shared now. In the story being unfolded in Revelation. As a reminder and an encouragement and a warning to hold on to Christ. It is shared now to be a glimpse of the future glory that fuels a daily hope in your life right now. Right now. Keep on clinging no matter what. Now again, the context is important. It's a context of conflict and challenge and judgment and justice that we see here. Revelation is obviously a very unique book in the Bible. It tells the story of the church age culminating in the return of the king who sets right all the wrongs. Yet Revelation doesn't tell this story in a time sequential chronological order. That's why it's hard to read sometimes if you think in that way. It tells the story again and again. It tells the whole story of the age of the church and the return of the king over and over again. And each time it tells it, it intensifies, it increases its pictures and its symbolism all the more. And it's telling this story again and again from different perspectives, weaving in and out. Revelation uses highly symbolic language to convey these spiritual truths, and it culminates in the second advent of the king. To help us to maybe understand that a little bit, is a few years back, a World War II movie called Dunkirk was released, and maybe many of you in here saw that movie. It told the remarkable story of a great rescue of some 300,000 plus soldiers from uh, England and allied forces being rescued from sure and imminent death. And the director wanted to tell this story in a very unique way, weaving the telling of this story through three different sets of time and space on land, on sea and in the air. And so as you move through the telling of this story, you're moving from the story of the troops on the land. And that story spanned over the course of a week. 
And then you would move into the story of the citizens that were racing on the sea in their boats to come and rescue the soldiers. And that story spanned the course of a day. And then you would jump to the, to the pilots in the Air Force that were flying overhead, trying to race there in time to provide just enough cover and protection. And that story of the pilots took an hour. And so maybe when you were watching it, it felt a little disjointed at times because you weaved in and out of land and sea and air, and you were weaving through different perspectives in time. But then... All those times converged together at the end of the movie, all hitting at the right moment, meeting together in this great rescue. So when you open up your Bible to Revelation and you go to read it, think similarly to Dunkirk. Weaving in and out of time and perspectives culminating in this great return of the king who brings to completion this great rescue. Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation 8 verse 5 is telling one incredible rescue story. And it does so weaving in and out of different perspectives. Chapter 6 is filled with great conflict as the story of a hard life And a harsh world with a real evil opposes God, his purposes, and his people. And there's judgment and justice. Chapter 7 interrupts. Interrupts the story of hardship, conflict, and justice. With a glimpse at the very end. God's people. No longer worn, torn, threadbare, weary. No, God's people standing in victory because of Jesus. And then goes back into judgment and justice and hardship and conflict. That's why we're in chapter 7 today. We are in the midst of a hard life and a harsh world with a real evil. And it can seem too much at times. It's definitely wearying. Sometimes the future doesn't feel so bright. Let alone the fact that sometimes there doesn't even seem to be a flicker of daily hope. And if that's true, enter chapter 7. Enter chapter 7. A glimpse of a future glory that is to bring to our hearts and our lives the fuel For a daily hope now, even when it's hard. Don't stop clinging to Jesus no matter what. Now that leads us to consider our second point. Our first point is a future glory that fuels a daily hope. And so the thought serpentines back into itself. It mirrors back. And so if we have this daily hope, it's a daily hope that is not aimless. It's a daily hope that's not empty. It's a daily hope that does, in fact, anticipate a future glory. 
So as we look at the end, we get fuel to have hope now. And as we have hope now, and we stack those days on top of each other, just one day at a time, clinging and hoping and trusting with hearts and heads set on Jesus, as we stack those days, it's anticipating this future glory. There are three truths, these three hopes, these three encouragements that we have in our passage that want us to, to, to have our heads and hearts wrap around and see them as daily hopes, anticipating the truth of them in full measure in glory. First encouragement is this, as we considered in Revelation chapter 7 in the passage that we read, the Savior of God's people is strong. The Savior of God's people is strong. God's people in Revelation 7 are standing in victory because of Jesus. Standing. Again, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, which is a symbol of victory, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the midst of the unfolding of history, in a harsh world with a real evil, we can feel worn down and threadbare. We can feel weary in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritually. So how do we then keep going? Do we just muster it up from within, deep within? Do we pull up our bootstraps? No. We look to our King and we find that our Savior is strong enough for us. Strong enough for us. In, the, in light of an overwhelming, wearying world and an overwhelming Wearying evil, we are overwhelmed. But an overwhelming, wearying world and an overwhelming, wearying evil are no match for Jesus. While they may be overwhelming to us, they are overwhelmed by our King. The Savior of God's people is strong. And in his first advent, which we have celebrated and rejoiced in and hoped in and held on to, in his first advent comes the death blow of all of God's enemies, of sin, of death, and of Satan. His second advent is the finishing off of sin, death, and Satan. And All those, friends, hear this. If there's anything you hear this morning, hear this. All those who trust in his first advent stand in victory at his second. The Savior of God's people is strong. Therein lies daily hope that anticipates a future glory. Second encouragement that we get from this portion that we are considering 
in its context in Revelation chapter 7. The future of God's people is sure. The Savior of God's people is strong, and, and that brings to us the future of God's people is sure. God's people make it to the end because Jesus. Consider verses 13 and 14, that exchange between that elder in glory and John, the apostle, who was getting this most incredible vision. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've made it through. They made it through all the way to the very end because Jesus. And this whole idea of this great tribulation, it could certainly refer to a particular moment or it can refer to the whole of history being a great tribulation. The whole age of the church living in a harsh world, facing a real evil, regardless of how intense it may get. The reality is one day the wearying Journey in a harsh world with a real evil will be no more. That God's people will make it all the way to the end. And the surety of their future is because of the sufficiency of their Savior. Jesus is sufficient to save and to sustain and to strengthen. And to keep all the way to the very end. So even if you have a weak and wobbly faith. You're not kept to the end. Because of the intensity of your faith. You're kept to the very end. Because of the strength and sufficiency and intensity of your Savior. So even if your faith is little. But in Jesus you make it to the very end. This is good news. Sometimes we don't feel that there's anything sure except hardship and evil. And we need a chapter 7 interrupting a chapter 6 kind of world. To bring us a glimpse of the end to give us strength for the now. The Savior of God's people is strong and the future of God's people is sure. And that leads to the third encouragement that gives us this daily hope that anticipates a future glory, and that is the worship of God's people is sweet. The worship of God's people is sweet. God's people experience the forever blessedness of a forever worship of God. The forever blessedness, the forever joy of a forever worship of God. Again, our, we've hit this verse many times, but we'll hit it again. Verse 9, and then again in verse 15 through 17. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And what were they doing? Verses 15 through 17. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are talking about the sweetest, most incredible blessedness for all eternity. A globally diverse choir of redeemed singing with no hunger and no thirst and no wilting under a wearying world. For Jesus has them and they have Jesus. What incredible hope. What an incredible glory. That when we are wilting under physical chronic pain and we're wilting under ongoing cultural opposition and we're wilting under temptation that just keeps lingering and lurking and rattling around in our own hearts, we sometimes think, am I even a part of this thing that God is calling me to? Do I even have Jesus? And we, we feel the insecurities of doubt and fear all sort of start choking us out. There's anyone in here who hasn't experienced that in some measure. And what do we do? What do we respond? How do we, how do we respond to that? Well, we acknowledge the reality of a hard world and life and the reality of evil. But we tenderize our hearts with this overwhelmingly prevailing truth. God is in control and Jesus wins and he will shelter and he will sustain and he will wipe all the tears away. That's the thrilling hope yet to come. And that thrilling hope yet to come. It, it holds out to us this glorious future. And gives to us this daily strength to keep hoping, even in the midst of hard and harsh and opposition. A daily hope anticipating a future glory means we have all we need to not give up now. To not give up now. Two aspects of application for us right now. And we'll use, I'll use my sort of age as the barrier line, as the thin line separating the points of application. So I'm 43. To anyone younger than me, to our teenagers, our 20-somethings, our 30-somethings with their young families, I want to say to you in light of this, don't succumb to the pressures of our culture that rejects anything and everything I just said. Don't succumb to the pressures all around you. You have something strong, something sure, something sweet, something greater. Don't toss it aside because it makes your life uncomfortable. Now to those who are older than me. And if you're 43, there's no application for you today. Sorry. 
to those who are older, don't live with a calloused heart because things have gone as you hoped. You have something strong and something sure and something sweet. You have something greater than unmet expectations that were probably misplaced anyway. So don't forget it because you're mad. Instead of yelling, get off my lawn, invite others into your house. Live in light of a glorious future with a daily hope, no matter how many days you have left. The thrilling hope yet to come brings to us a future glory that fuels a daily hope. And this daily hope then labors on in a weary world to reach a future glory at the very end. And end with no more tears as we drink up the refreshment of living water. This is Advent, y'all. This is the arrival. When Christ came in his incarnation, this was the arrival of a thrilling hope. We Taste it now and we will know it in full. This thrilling hope yet to come. May we live with that daily hope now. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that it would be found at home in our hearts, our heads, and our lives. And may we be transformed and strengthened and encouraged. daily to live this out with a thrilling hope of a future glory. And be with us, we pray, young and old. Help us see all that you've done for us in Christ. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.